The title of the lesson this evening is Endure to the Finish. I hope you have James chapter 1 verse 12 still open before you. We'll be looking a bit at that verse shortly, a little bit later in the service tonight. The opening paragraph, the opening statement on the next slide says the race is on. We so often are surrounded in circumstances in which we appreciate a race. Perhaps it's a foot race. Maybe you recollect a 50-yard dash or maybe even a much longer race that perhaps took place when you were in high school or even in other arenas in life. But quite often as we give thought to a race, isn't it a bit interesting that the Bible actually makes comparison between the Christian life and a race? Tonight, why don't we delve into that a little bit more interestingly as we strive to give thought to the race is on. And at the bottom of that particular slide, I've asked you to notice that one of the things so pertinent about a race is enduring to the finish. Be like Jesus. As we develop that theme, we'll refer, return on a few occasions to look at our Master. And so as we begin that, let's use this slide to basically provide a foundation for making that comparison between a race, an actual athletic race, and the Christian life. You'll notice on that slide that I think it's fair to say that a race has several things that should be said about it. That is to say, if one is going to participate in a race and do so successfully, some of these things surely must be true. There must be a period of preparation, a period of training, that is to say, a making ready to actually compete. But not only that, that by itself is not sufficient. As you can see on the slide, there's the actual formal entrance into the race. You can't spend all your time training, and you can't simply involve preparation. There actually comes a time that you actually enter that race. But not only that, even that is not sufficient. There must be an endurance to the end of that race. To stop before it's over is not enough. It's not satisfactory. But may I say perhaps one final thing. The completion of that race is in many ways what will be the subject, the consideration before us this evening. Consider the following. Suppose an individual making ready to run a race invests the weeks, perhaps months, to prepare, to train, perhaps to, to make choices in diet and all the other things that would go into making that time of preparation. And not only that, you officially sign up to run this race. You enter your name, you pay the admission fee. The day comes and you actually start the race. But then for some reason, you just choose not to finish it. Maybe this is oh, a 200-meter race, and you stop at the 150-meter mark, and you just decide you don't want to race anymore. What are some things you would miss? That individual would not receive any reward that goes with completing the race. That person would receive no compliments, no accolades, nothing in terms of commendation for having completed the race because the person didn't complete it. You'll notice on the slide then, isn't it amazing the Christian life is likened into this? Consider with me Hebrews 12, verses 1 and following. Notice the wording as it relates to a race. Wherefore, the inspired writer says, Seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin which just so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. You noticed as verse 1 ended with me, did you not? Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The Hebrew writer isn't talking about a foot race. He isn't referring to any kind of Olympic athletic competition, for example. He's referring to the Christian life and comparing it in many ways to a race. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. May I offer us the consideration then that as we give thought to the Christian life, it too then must be pertinent to reflect upon training and preparation. It surely must be pertinent to think about the actual entrance into this race. But not only that, there's the actual competition. But should we not quickly say that in light of all of that, it isn't enough to begin the race. It isn't enough to train and compete. In order to receive the crown, we've got to finish it. We literally need to run with patience that race set before us. Tonight's lesson will hopefully be a motivation for each of us to endure to the finish. And that's the title I gave to the lesson. That text in <coughs> excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12 is not the only time that a reference like that is made. Would you turn to 1 Corinthians 9 and look at yet another one? This one, Paul referred to himself, and he did so in rather dramatic language. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'll begin reading in verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Perhaps we ought to stop at that point. The city of Corinth, located in the ancient realm, you and I perhaps remember, wasn't that far from Athens. Both were in Greece, and in so doing, we will appreciate Athens is where the Olympic Games had their beginning many, many centuries ago. And so as Paul made a reference to running and to races, he pointed out to them what they already knew. Don't you know that those who run in a race, there's one winner. There's one that comes out on top. And so he quickly says in verse number 24, So run. He is not telling the Corinthians, you make sure to enter the next Olympic Games. You make sure to enter the next foot race taking place near Athens. That was not his point. He said, so you run that you may obtain. He's talking about the Christian life again. Urging those in Corinth to run, to compete, and to do so lawfully. Note the next, the next verse. And every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Paul highlighted that those who run in these foot races, they are exerting all of this energy and preparation, effort and time that they might receive this corruptible crown. They can say they won the race, and they would have been given a crown indicative of the fact they won. But Paul says we run the Christian race not looking for a corruptible crown that way. We run, verse 25, looking for an incorruptible one. Note verse 26. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, 
I myself should be a castaway. Two passages that ring with grandeur about the comparison between the Christian life and a race. It is for that reason you might note the bottom of this particular slide before us. As the Christian life is thus likened to a race, we might interject this comment. In the same way, there's an official entering to a literal athletic race. There's an official entering to the Christian life's race. It isn't entered at the time one is born from his or her mother's womb. That's not the time. It's not entered at the time one first makes a choice on his own to attend church services. That isn't it either. It is entered when one takes the name Christian. It is then that one is in the Lord's army. It's then that one is able to thus occupy that place in opposition to the great enemy. It's then one's a citizen in the kingdom. When does that occur? It occurs when one is immersed into Christ. When one is baptized, you then enter the race. All things, perhaps prior to that, have been preparatory. They've been training, schooling one in education and readiness so that one could be equipped to make the right decision to enter that race. But upon entering it, at that point one has commenced his life in the kingdom. You'll notice this text in Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27. As Paul addressed the churches of Galatia, he said to them, in a very dramatic and very powerful way, as he asked them this rhetorical question, Don't you know that all we who thus were baptized into Christ, we were baptized into His body? And in so doing, he pointed out rather directly to them, then they were in Christ. They weren't in Christ prior to being baptized into Him. As you and I close that slide, Perhaps one final set of thoughts before we develop some of this more carefully on the slide that will follow. If one enters the Christian life at baptism, that's when the race begins. It cannot be said that one has completed the race then. One must, of course, follow verses like these. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight: Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul, what's that? Every day I'm battling in this race. I'm attempting thus to run with patience and to do so looking for the, the incorruptible crown that, that should be given on that final great day. Let's add another verse to it. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 15, We in an ongoing way, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Might we say that differently? I'm running in the race, and each day, with the understanding and consideration, I am giving diligence to make sure that I'm approved. I'm running lawfully. The last one on that slide, the text in Hebrews 5, is a challenge for us not to grow weary as we strive to run in that race. The next slide, as I mentioned earlier, points out some of these things rather quickly to us. Could I bring us to that appreciation? You and I might begin the Christian race, but might we never forget how vital, how necessary, how essential it is to complete it. 
I know that there are those in the religious world who are quick to say, once you're saved, you're always saved. It doesn't so much matter in their mind how you run the race. In their mind, once you've started it, that's enough. And the only problem with that is the Word of God doesn't teach it. It rather teaches that not only must one begin the race, one must not only compete, you've got to complete the race. We can't stop short of the finish line. Look at some of these verses with me. 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. Paul pointed out, I know whom I believed, and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul knew, but notice he referred to that day. He could not then claim he had finished the race. Look at the next one. Same book, three chapters later. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 and following. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. Did you note the word course? That again seemingly brings to mind the fact there was a route, a course that had been followed, and Paul said, I have followed it. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Paul, so what of it? Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of life. There is that incorruptible crown. A crown of life, but not to me only, but unto all of them also that love is appearing. Aren't those lovely words, encouraging words that you and I might too complete this race? Maybe one final passage. That text I would call to your attention in Revelation 14. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. You and I have got to live faithfully so that when the time comes, our body is in the casket. Or if we choose some other means of the disposition of the body, whatever the case may have been to the time of our death, we want it to be such that it could be said we died in the Lord. It wasn't enough to start the race. It wasn't enough even to compete for a while. What is enjoined upon us is with those things in mind to complete that race. And to do so, expectant and looking forward to the incorruptible crown that shall be given to those who strive lawfully. And so it is, you may notice on that slide. I've asked you to at least appreciate this. Jesus did this, did He not? Back on that opening slide, I entitled it, Endure to the Finish, Be Like Jesus. Let's now piece some of these matters back together. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, it had went on to say, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of God. The Master went all the way to the cross. He didn't simply do God's will for a little while. He didn't just simply do God's will for the first 30 years or so of His life. He did it all the way to the time of the cross, all the way to the completion. And that again is the idea behind this motivation, this incentive for you and me as well. We live roughly 20 centuries this side of the cross, and yet we too are given the same message, endure to the finish. None of us know what things may come our way. Physical challenges and difficulties, matters in our families or otherwise, issues at the workplace, the list could go on and on. It could be national catastrophe. It could be financial ruin. It could be all of the above. That must not be allowed to deter us 
Because again, the Lord didn't promise a crown of life to those that start the race. He didn't even promise a crown of life to those who compete for a while. He only promised it to those who endure to the finish. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Revelation 2 verse 10. And so, although that's a challenge to be sure, many times we might wish or hope He had said, if you start the race, that's enough. He didn't say it that way. He had urged upon us faithfulness all throughout the duration of life, whatever that may, whatever that may be in your life or mine. You'll notice about the middle of the slide. It is in this very connection. You might note the following with me. We have given some emphasis to verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews 12. What is it that just preceded that? Keep in mind with me that it was man that divided the Bible into chapters and verses. When the book of Hebrews was originally sent to those who were its first hearers, it was one letter, one continuous letter from chapter 1 verse 1 to chapter 13 verses 21 and 22, or chapter 13 verse 21. With that in mind, notice what preceded it. What is it that happened in chapter 11? We have immediately given to us a powerful listing of the so-called heroes of the faith. These individuals who steadfastly and with perseverance did that which was demanded of them, and they did so with faithfulness. Just to select a few of them to mention, there's Noah. He had never seen it rain, nor had anyone else who lived in his day and time. And yet, because God had said that it was going to, Noah, acting upon that faith, verse 7 tells us, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. And in the preparation of that ark, he simply obediently did throughout the nature of his life. We recall in Genesis 6.22, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. Now, you and I would be quick to say that there's a powerful record of Noah's faithfulness during the time of preparation of the ark. But the time came he had to enter it. And the time came he had for that period of time remained faithful while on that ark. And then, of course, he disembarked from it. We'd be quick to say Noah did make a mistake in chapter 9. In fact, he sinned. He got drunk. And he behaved in a way that was totally unbecoming of a person who would wish to please God. It would seem that he repented of that. It would seem then that he understood the gravity of the moment. There are times you and I shall make our mistakes. We may fall aside into behavior that isn't becoming of a Christian. May we come back to our senses. Don't wallow in that sin. Don't remain in that, but rather appreciate, I've got to finish this race. It's not enough for me to say I've run for a while. You'll notice the next thing on the slide. Isn't it true? We're urged to be like Christ. He was faithful. John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus Himself said, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. What about you and me? 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 urges us, Be therefore followers of me, even as I also am of Christ, Paul said. It was his goal to follow Christ. May that be ours as well. We might add to that, Colossians 1.27, 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is such that you and I should so conduct ourselves that Christ will develop more thoroughly, more powerfully, more abundantly in our life with each passing day. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Perhaps the final one in Philippians 2 verse 20. Paul, of course, in a remarkable way there could highlight the fact he was striving such that Christ could be seen in him. As you and I close that slide, perhaps one more thought. You and I are admonished to be relentlessly faithful, to allow nothing then to deter us from completing that race, and to thus appear approvedly on that final and grand day, to endure to the finish. All of this is, I hope, rather encouraging to each of us. But it is in this very regard that the Word of God presents this same message, but from a slightly different vantage point. It does so using language of warning. So far, all these verses you and I have considered have pointed out the fact that the necessity of finishing the race is so critical. Let's turn that logic around. Does the Bible ever address those situations when a person might not finish it, might choose to fall short of it? If so, in what way is that discussed? Is it discussed with approval? You and I already know the answer to that. Let's begin at the top of that slide. We are given a number of explicit examples of individuals who had started the race that you and I would call the Christian life, and yet they did not finish it. Please note, they started it. They had been baptized. They had begun for a while to exhibit noteworthy faithfulness, but they didn't finish. Let's see what the Word of God has to say about them. Let's start with Demas in 2 Timothy 4 verse 10. There, Paul in writing that very last letter as far as we know that he ever wrote, at least the last one preserved for us. And speaking in that consideration, he made reference to Demas, a man who once had been faithful. He was an accompanying person on the third missionary journey. He had been a part of one who had endured somewhat for the cause of the Master. But by the time we arrive at 2 Timothy 4, Paul could say, Demas has forsaken me. He's loved this present world. It would appear he had reached the point where this is no longer worth it. There are others who you see seemingly have so much more than I do. They are blessed with more riches, blessed with an easier style of life, and yet I'm persecuted. I meet the demands that come with accompanying Jesus Christ he loved this world too much. Question, did Paul state that that man was saved in that condition? He didn't. He's forsaken me. He has turned aside from the things that would accompany the truth. How tragic. We hope Demas came to his senses. He's never mentioned again, so we simply don't know. But remember, at the time 2 Timothy was written, the destruction of Jerusalem was soon going to happen if Demas didn't make things right by then, it maybe perhaps did not go so well for him because maybe his heart was seared too much. Let's try another one. What about Judas? Here was an individual who himself had been a partner to Jesus himself. He had been handpicked as one of the apostles. 
there are times that we struggle in thinking about this. The Lord, knowing all things, including the future, knew what Judas was going to do. He knew how much Judas loved money, and Judas held the bag, John 12, verses 5 and 6. Judas even had the power to cast out demons, Matthew chapter 10. Judas had the power to heal the sick. Judas had power to do any number of things, working miracles, and yet he nonetheless, with that power, chose in time to betray the only begotten Son of God. Judas started a race. For some number of months, he had been a partner, an apostle with Jesus. He didn't finish it. He ended up hanging himself. When he took back the money in Matthew 27, verses 2 and 3, and they didn't accept it, Judas went out and hanged himself. Later in Acts chapter 1, he's called the son of perdition. In some way, I suppose, our heart aches for Judas, knowing he entered eternity, apparently unprepared. At the very least, we could say this. Here's another case, another example of one who started a race, but he didn't finish it. What about another one? To err from the truth. May I ask us to recollect that interesting statement in James 5, verses 19 and 20. As James wrote, he said, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, well, that alone teaches it's possible to err from the truth. For an inspired writer said, If you do this, God's not going to state something that's impossible. If any of you do err from the truth, then he which converteth the sinner from the error of, the, of his way doth save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. What a powerful passage. It is possible to err from the truth, isn't it? And so you and I must be mindful, cautious, and rather careful. Is it Simon, another example of this? In Acts chapter 8, here was one who heard the preaching of Philip. He was baptized into Christ. He started the Christian race. Now, given his earlier style of life, some of those seeds of evil were still within him. And you'll notice that although those matters had been forgiven, he nonetheless wanted the power to lay on his hands and impart the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter told him that was not going to happen. Peter told him rather carefully, You're wrong about this, and you're in sin. Notice here was a child of God that began a race, but he didn't complete it at that moment. He had fallen aside. Peter told him, you can still finish this race. You've got to repent of this wickedness, and you've got to turn back to God. That same message is true for us. If you and I turn aside to sin, we've got to turn back to the Master and complete this race. There's too much hanging in the balance. Perhaps one more thing on that slide. There's a host of sobering passages that really go right along with all of these things. The passages alone speak for themselves. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There have been a couple of times in the Olympic races and of course, those who commentate these things make much of it. These runners often are running very close to one another, and sometimes this individual who, though much training has happened and though the race has started, 
this person trips. And suddenly all the other runners pass the person by and the person may be sufficiently injured that he or she cannot, end, cannot finish the race. To some extent, hearts perhaps go out to that person all this training and yet can't finish the race. May I say the same exact thing can sometimes happen to Christians. You start a race and you run with fervor and zeal and ardency for a while. And then you trip, you stumble. Whatever happens, it weighs you down. If we stay there, we're not going to finish the race. We've got to get up and continue, coming back, repenting of these sins, and proceeding onward to finish this race. Look at the next verse, 2 Peter 3, verse 17. Peter, in writing, urged those, Be careful, he wrote, lest ye fall from your own steadfastness. Peter exactly said, you can fall from your steadfastness. Don't you think so much of yourself that you just believe you can never fall? We can. Look at the next one. In Galatians 5 verse 4, in writing to the churches of Galatia, so he's writing to those who had obeyed the gospel, you, he said, if you turn back to follow the Old Testament, you've fallen from grace. Could those brethren fall? They sure could. And he even told them the means whereby it could happen. Perhaps to add two more to that list. In 2 Peter 2, verses 20 to 22, the language expressed in this one is, is so very dramatic. He said, For if we are entangled again and overcome with these things of the world. What did Peter say about this person? This one who had escaped those things, but yet turns back to them. He went on to say, the latter end is worse than the beginning. It'd been better if that person had never obeyed the gospel. It's like the dog that's turned to its own vomit. It's like the south turned to her wallowing in the mire. That's the way the, des the description is given to us. This person, you see, has fallen back into a state of being lost, and the latter end is worse than the first one. You see, it's important to finish the race. One last passage in Revelation 3, verses 1 to 5. One of the seven churches of Asia addressed there was the church at Sardis. That congregation, you see, was a congregation that had a name that they were living, but they were dead. The writer was quick to say, there's still some faithful members there, but you've got to repent. You've got to come back. You've got to return and do the first works. Does that sound like an admonition to get back up? You've stumbled and fallen. Get back up and finish this race. Endure to the finish. Be like Jesus. And with that, one final thought. All of these verses that we've considered admonish us as we give thought to a race to perhaps revisit the consideration and understand some of the things that can well cause us to trip. I've used this last slide to very briefly at least detail some of them. As we do that, many of them will perhaps be evident. But as the Word of God develops them, perhaps quickly we might notice 
there is an enemy in this instance for you and me. You know, those people who run in an actual foot race, they're competing against other individuals, but we face a far stronger enemy than that. Someone who knows us very well and someone who knows what is likely to trip us up and what is very likely to cause us to stumble. And that's exactly what He'll put in our way. No wonder we must be admonished, just as Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 6, your adversary, this enemy of ours, we've got to be on guard for his fiery darts. But not only that, notice this one. That tool he so frequently uses is to capture our attention so that we will lose our interest in completing the race. Have you known of someone who started the Christian journey, but they just lost interest after a while? They weren't interested in coming to church services. They weren't interested in participating in the programs of the church. They were happy where they were, despite the fact they're lost. Their conscience had been seared with worldliness, materialism, other features that they were drowning in error and didn't care anymore. Oh, what a dangerous position to be in. They're happy, you see, not finishing the race. That's tragic. Look at the next one. One of the ways you and I, of course, can make sure this doesn't happen is to borrow the wording of Ephesians chapter 4, give no place to the devil. Give him no place at all. Now, as Paul wrote that to the Ephesian congregation, haven't you perhaps wondered what went through their minds as they heard Paul say this? Could it be that some of them were beginning to give place to the devil? They were allowing themselves to think more highly of various things than they were of Jesus? And in that condition, they would have been easy prey. And so Paul wrote, don't you give any place to the devil. You be committed to the new man, not the old one. And verse 30 will say in that very same chapter, don't you grieve the Holy Spirit. Look at the next one with me. And therefore, as we use that great tool known as the Word of God, we of course use it in such a way that we strive lawfully. And we do so with humility and with prayer. And we do so looking with eagerness to completing this race. There are times as you watch individuals competing in a race, and you see their faces as they get near to cross that finish line. And quite often, there's such a smile and such a happiness, such a reality, I've done it. What about you and me? As we proceed toward the finish line, as we've noted tonight, we must endure to the end. We can't be satisfied stopping short. And yet we can have a smile to cross our face when we know we cross that finish line of the Master. For just as Paul said, we'll receive this incorruptible crown, this crown of life, all of eternity, that awaits the bliss and the grandeur of that marvelous place called heaven. James chapter 1, verse 12 is our lesson text. I'd like to return to that and close our lesson. James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. There may be times we misread that. 
Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Maybe I would read that and say, it's enough just to be tried. That's not what it says. It says, borrowing the original language in which it was written, that there's an element of approval that goes with this. James, in essence, says, you've got to complete this race. Blessed is the man that endures temptation in such a way that he is sufficiently, triumphantly, and victoriously able to complete this race. Then he shall receive the crown of life. I hope you and I are laboring toward that goal. Having begun the race, let us run it each day with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He not only is the one who originated it in the sense that the gospel message is based upon Him, but He shall be the one who completes it with us as you and I run the race set before us. May we do it with patience. May we do it with zeal. And may we do it with a striving lawfully following the things provided to us, looking to complete the race. For we know what reward awaits the faithful. The closing slide is nothing but a conclusion. And it does so by bringing before us the thought of perseverance. That word patience that occurs in the King James Version of Hebrews 12.1 is literally the word perseverance. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't be satisfied with anything less than finishing the Christian race. As we endure to the finish, that crown of life is that to which we look and that which we yearn to have. Tonight, if we could be of assistance or help in any way, we would trust that if you are a child of God who has erred from the path of faithfulness, get back up and finish this race. The Word of God admonishes you to do that, and Jesus is beckoning to you from the finish line, holding out His hand, desiring you to exert what's necessary to finish it. Satan is trying hard to get you and I to be happy with coming up short. That's what he would prefer. But Jesus lovingly and with much grace and mercy invites us to come. Come unto me, he says, all you that labor. If we could be of assistance in any way tonight, won't you come while together we stand and sing?